Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the podcast for the recently deceased. I am Nate Roberts. And I am Rodney Godek. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right. Uh, I just renovated the store, so I've had two long, <clears throat> long days. Um, my whole body hurts, but that's okay, because I'm here with you now, and we're going to talk about uh, two of our favorite guys. Actually, uh, you know, they don't know who we are, but but we love them. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, and you're obviously talking about uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, uh, yes. who have, uh, I mean, you know, we talked about them uh, briefly when we had our episode with Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella, the uh, the uh, tours of After Midnight and uh, the Battery. Yes. And of the projects, like they're sort of all in the same world, or just friends, and came from similar places or cross paths. But uh, these two guys have such a unique filmography. Uh, a lot of them through Rustic Films, uh, and almost all of them on Shutter currently. If anyone wants to research, which I highly recommend. But uh, you know, they've been a part of the larger big budget stuff with Marvel, whether it's Loki, uh, Moon Knight. Yeah. It's it's odd that they're somehow able to be a part of that, but yet also make these uh, art pieces in their strange world, you know? Yeah, I, I, I loved Moon Knight, and I'm, I'm, I wonder how they were found and or approached. Um, you know, that indie stuff you guys are into is really cool. You want to do Moon Knight? Like, wh- like how did that happen? <laughs> um, I mean, whatever, it was, it was actually really good. Um, yeah. Especially with a pretty obscure character who, you know, what is he going to be doing in the MCU? No one really knows. But getting Oscar Isaacs involved, uh, who's just this phenomenal actor, um, you know, he really he really pulls it off. So, anyway, we, uh, we, we love you guys. <laughs> and we're going to yeah. talk about, tonight we're here <laughs> to talk about something in the dirt. Yeah, Something in the Dirt uh, hit the film circuit. Uh, I want to say this was their first film to ever premiere at Sundance. Okay. I'm pretty sure that that's accurate. They've been in other festivals, but this was the first time that something that they uh, had already, that they sent to Sundance got accepted. And so uh, we, it had been out for so long this year. I knew about it. You know, the two of them, Something in the Dirt, their kind of stuff, sci-fi, trippy, mind-bender type story. And waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, uh, they started to release it in theaters. Obviously, it wasn't going to hit our locale, uh, being where we're at. Yeah, but no, no. hit VOD recently, and we immediately snatched it up and watched it this weekend. And we are here today to tell the tale. Yes, and uh, if you're new to the podcast, what we like to do is give you a quick summary uh, review um, with no spoilers uh, from each of us. And then we're going to move on to a uh, deeper, fuller conversation, which will be full of spoilers. So only continue to watch if you don't care about spoilers or if you've already seen the movie. Uh, feel free. Otherwise, go watch the film and come back and watch the finish the episode. Absolutely. So uh, without further ado, uh, we like to... Uh, we like to read the and I got we're using a new format for the first time. We used to use Discord and now we're Ooh. using Google Meet. Yeah. So you're gonna have to bear with me for a, a moment as I 
You pull up the I am de Burs. There it is. Uh, there I'm excited go. for you to read it because I've already read it and I've got thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we kind of want to do one more thing here. We're going to do that. Yes, so it looks a little larger. Okay, and then one more thing. Hey, okay. Something in the dirt. Maverick filmmaking duo Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead offer up a twisted reflection of our paranoid times in this inventive mix of buddy comedy and sci-fi thriller. Uh, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Written by Justin Benson. Starring Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Um, Rod, why don't you start? So, I mean, you know, we always comment on these blurbs. And I have to believe, and I feel pretty confident in saying that they had nothing to do with this blurb. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I, these guys are definitely not the kind of guys that would describe themselves in this fucking way uh, whatsoever. Sure. Uh, they're very humble uh, and passionate about the art of, of what they do. Uh, you know, they're down to earth, but they're not uh, – they wouldn't raise this. Um, and I think it does a disservice to the – uh, the qualities of the film of what might attract a viewer. You know, if we're going through IMDb to see, oh, am I interested in this? This isn't going to help me decide whether or not I am. I already know that I would be because of them. But if I'm new to right. them, this isn't selling me. And that's, that's frustrating. Uh, but I, you know, there's a handful of other producers, uh, one of which is David Lawson Jr. Uh, he's also credited in the film, funnily enough, as the uh, attractive man on cell phone. Uh, but I think the heart of this movie is something that ends uh, at the end of the movie. They talk about make movies with friends. And my takeaway right. when I first talked to you is like, that's what this film ultimately made me want to do is made me want to write something with you right. and film it. Uh, we can get into a lot of stuff with that and why it does that and evokes that. But I think that uh, at the heart, this is just two guys telling and something interesting or writing a story that's interesting to them that has a lot of openness to it, uh, ambiguity, questions, deals with the fringes of, uh, you know, paranoia and what rabbit holes you can go down through isolation or life circumstance, coincidence versus fate. There's all kinds of interesting subtext in what they've made here that I don't think there's any wrong way to approach it or experience it. Whatever you get out of it, it uh, you know, what, what is what you put in. And it can leave you questioning things or leave you feeling, yeah, open, shut case, and I'm happy and content with the narrative that they told. But I think there's just so much more there if you want it, you know? And I think that that's ultimately what they're interested in as filmmakers is to just propose these things and, and let people play with it and make up what they want. And this film, I think, does an excellent job of it. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I was kind of just watching the trailer uh, as as you're um, giving your your summation there, and uh, the last quote, well, like review quote, um, was "I hope Justin Benson and Aaron Moore had never stopped making movies," and I I believe that was the first thing I said to myself when the movie was over, was yeah. Um, I just really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed the movie. Um, you know, it wasn't what I expected or what I hoped for the show, but you know, we, you know, we have to do it because it's it's these guys, and and it was it was so good. All I wanted 
was that it was for them to never stop. Um, so what we were gonna check, we we're gonna check to see the cast and crew. Yeah, I mentioned uh, David Lawson, but there's other people. You know, it doesn't scream of it, but I do know that this was um, began to be written by the two of them during uh, the pandemic when it originally occurred a couple years ago when the quarantine started. They kind of uh, filmed and wrote in the locations that are on the uh, in the film. It was sure. those were their two apartments in real life, and so they used what they had available, and oh, they wrote okay. a story. And then they realized as the pandemic was going on, and the more isolation and quarantining, where things weren't returning to normal, I think they decided like, okay, how do we keep our quarantine bubble and make this because it looks like we're in for the long haul. Um, and I think they do a good job of not making it seem like a quarantine film. You know, we watched several that that utilize the necessity of doing something like this podcasting where you just see people on one camera. There's no interaction with another character on a set. Uh, Night's End comes to mind as like the most obvious example. Uh, but I suppose like, you know, uh, the host and things like that happen similarly. Yeah. But at any rate, they do a good job, I think, of, of disguising that, like the fact that that's what was happening in real life doesn't really in this film these are two isolated characters that aren't really interacting with anybody else but it all works with the subject matter of the film and the events that are unfolding feels natural and the narrow focus of the two of them in this closed environment is so purposeful that it doesn't feel like oh well it's because they had to quarantine and they couldn't have a big cast you know sure it's very natural all right so what's the score Oh, my overall score? I'm landing at an 8 out of 10 for this one. I think that uh, you mentioned the fact that it's like awkward for our channel because we're more so a strictly horror podcast uh, YouTube channel. Um, and that's valid. I think that this lives within that world and that people that are fans of the horror genre will uh, cling to this as something worthy of their attention and, and uh, discussion because there's a sense of dread or uncertainty or unease, anxiety with the events that are unfolding because you sort of, they describe at some point what's going to be happening and it kind of plays with that. And you're always wondering and guessing what's happening and the, the idea of the supernatural or other phenomena, how that could unfold, you know, uh, what was the one, the fourth kind, I think uh, kind of came to mind as like, you know, it's not strictly horror, but it, the potential of what could occur is there. And so I think that's what lets it live within that environment. And I'm so okay with us working on the tangents of what we do to discuss it, and especially because of the, the filmmakers themselves uh, being worthy of it. So I'm at an eight. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to rewatch it, especially I'll get into it when we get into spoilers, but there's a lot of other texts that I came across uh, years ago in my past that I that in, helped inform the way that I interpret the movie now and its place in our in film culture, I suppose, to sure. be, you know, pontificating about it, mm -hmm. which I'll probably do a lot of in this episode. So I apologize to anyone that doesn't like that part of the episode, <laughs> but that's what I feel I'm prepared to do tonight. Sure. So uh, it's an eight out of 10. Sure. Uh, uh, all right. For me, um, I give the movie a seven out of 10. Uh, I think, I think the eight is totally valid. Um, I, I only give it a seven 
for it it lacking you know in the in the horror genre which it, it unfortunately um got billed at you know as and uh you know i i can't help that and i was expecting one thing i got another but the movie was was fantastic and um for me what i liked most was the the building of the paranoia from both characters' perspectives. Because, you know, you, you start off and you're like, okay, well, this guy's kind of already wacko, right? And you're just kind of, like, waiting for him to spiral. And, and it kind of turns that on you, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I was really not expecting. And, and, yeah. I, thought, and I thought was, was kind of the some of the brilliance in the screenwriting was... Yeah. was kind of how it turned the character archetypes, um, you know, on their head, uh, especially when, you know, it gave you the the setup for one story to unfold, and it definitely uh, took the uh, the other fork in the road. Um, seven out of ten. The story is so interesting, and they I feel like. You know, I don't know the references, right? And and they do reference a lot of text and a lot of math, and mm-hmm. and 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 for someone who doesn't know, I was like, hey, these guys did their research. <laughs> like, I like these guys know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, so you know, yeah. so so it was believable, right? Like, I didn't, um, I didn't, you know furrow my brow at any of the of the pseudoscience uh mm-hmm. you know that that movies like this might have um especially stuff that this movie set up like they they could have at any time you know portaled through the mirror in the closet to uh, to yeah, another yeah. time you know what i mean they could have like like there there were there were so many things they could have done at any time especially with the fact that all that stuff was already there um, you know, the story could have wrapped around so that they put it all there in the past, and then they're finding it in the present, and, and you know, it's a, one of those, uh, like, time loop uh, scenarios. Um, they they could have gone into who wrote it all there in the past, and, you know, the any the stuff that was left for the next person to find, you know, what happened to the last person, you know, they set up a lot of stuff, and Ultimately, they don't answer any of these questions, but we, do, but we don't need uh, the answers, um, especially right. the especially the way they ended the film, um, kind of amb- ambiguously. Um, you kind of get to write your own ending, which which you know we sometimes you hate it, but in this case, I think it was it was done right. Um, so let's I'm gonna stop now before I say too much. And and let's get on to the spoiler uh, sure. conversation. Uh, so uh, eight from Rodney, uh, seven from me. Uh, excellent movie. I suggest you go watch it um, as soon as you can. Make sure you give these guys some money too. Buy yeah, it or rent it or uh, something. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, the rest of their filmography, a lot of it is on uh, Shutter currently. Um, so real quick before we get into it, because we'll probably forget, the only other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, the score to the movie is uh, super uh, important and relevant because it really helps to 
create this this film that's transformative and and takes you to places that you weren't expecting and allows you to experience it and to approach it in a very unique and uh, way that you wouldn't have traditionally had it been a more I don't know uh, typical score I'd say like there's the way that sound and music is used is is very creative and, and that's uh, Jimmy Laval uh, is did the music on this one so. <clears throat> For me, what I love about the film is, and you got to it at the end of uh, the summary of what you did there, in that it's open-ended. And I think that this film is meant to exist in that uh, that sort of intangible uh, uncertainty of what it is and what was occurring and what did occur. And I mean, let's get right to it. Like, for me, that you know that point happens in the film because all of a sudden, this sort of mockumentary, documentary-esque type filmmaking happens where they're interviewing other people and they're like, "Well, so let me ask you, why did you play yourselves in the recreation?" In the recreation. And so, and you're like, "Have I been watching the, their documentary of these events the whole fucking time?" Right. Because that changes everything. And your world is flipped upside down. And fuck, it's such a... And at, from that point on, for me, I was always on uneven ground. Yeah. And was never certain. And got to play with things or just, like, just experience it. Like, at that point, it's like it, like, kicks you on your ass. And you're kind of just like, oh, whoa, this changes everything. And you kind of, you know, and you, yeah. like, sit and you just, like, you, you, it really adjusts the way that you approach it. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So you were watching two potential movies, right? You're watching a movie where you're watching the events unfold and then it cuts to a documentary that was made sometime in the future and it cuts back mm -hmm. to the events and then it cuts back to the documentary or you're watching the actual documentary, which includes all of the, the reenactments played by themselves. But those reenactments, they're reenacting like like stuff that they shouldn't be reenacting, right? Like they're reenacting like conversations, just random. Yeah, the and, and that's what's great about it because like that's the thing. Uh, and the, the, the other piece that I'll bring in to help inform this conversation in a minute is like your memory is not the best framework upon which to build a documentary. Like it, you're – remembering it a certain way and then you're probably repainting it another way in order to convey the message but that isn't necessarily uh, truthful to the probably the the occurrence of those events and so there's so many layers of uh that are diffusing the truth of what occurred it's morphing into something new and different that it wasn't from the start and and that it's that ambiguity and that that discomfort or that, that lack of bearing with the right. film that just is, uh, it's so heavily soaked in it. Uh, and the two characters as characters and where they're at as, as, uh, as people in the setting, it's, uh, it all just plays with one another because like, that's them. Like th those are two yeah. guys that, that are the way that the film is done and created that's their lives right now where it's like, just waiting for something to latch on to and just go with it because right. nothing has occurred. 
<clears throat> right. Well, we see that uh, too from uh, like exactly what you were describing about not remembering things correctly, almost like you're playing a game of telephone with yourself. Um, with um, Aaron Moorhead's character, not Levi, the other one, uh, John. John. Uh, where he that happens, or that he does that throughout the movie, like he you you know the truth, and he kind of tells a just a little different version of it, just to, you know, just to make it sound better. The, with the way you punch up a story when you tell your friends, or the way yeah. you like you like misremember uh, an event with a girlfriend that you know made you look a little better than it than than it mm-hmm. it actually was that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so and John does that through through the whole film and actually gets called on it um, in like in the I think the not the end but the the big fight between the two of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, the breakdown of the yeah. relationship by the end, for sure. Yeah. But once again, <clears throat> now, was that just a reenactment? Like, were they friends? And, and are we... Is is that dramatized for the for the doc? <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre because you really, you really don't know. And for me, uh, let me just ask you, I really uh, almost throughout the whole film latched onto and sympathized with... Um, with Levi yeah. throughout the entirety of it. And I don't know if it was just so that his comedic timing and he had like the funnier one lines. I, I, there's something that I, I attached myself to him. And even when the revelations of his backstory kind of come up, I go, I find, and I'm like, Ugh. I go along with the explanation of the event, but sure. that could be complete bullshit. He's, you know, and they're, recreating that in the documentary and it's like but at at some point you have to you just decide to go along with it and that's fine and i think that if you were to rewatch it you could take perspective for so okay that's not okay and this is now look at it from john's angle um so i sympathize with him and so whenever he was like uh going after john or retelling john like i i uh what happened with him i just i found myself always attaching to him and, and taking his point of view or his perspective as as the truthful one by the time where he's incredulous and kind of like leery and uncertain to this phenomena that they're capturing. And he's like, we need to, you know, pull the brakes on this. Uh, but John wants to continue to go through. That's like, that's the rationale. He's like, yeah, this isn't a good thing anymore. It's not something we can capture. Uh, and you know, and that almost makes me think of, uh, do you remember um, Antler's uh, Ant Tolst from uh, Nope, the filmmaker? He's like you can't capture the the uncapturable, yeah. The filmmaker from you know, uh, I feel like that's how Levi felt by the end of the film with what they were experiencing. Like this isn't for us to fuck with. We kind of experienced it. We shot some stuff, but we got to move on. Yeah, and I'm well, gonna move on. No, I I totally agree. I I think I I also uh, identified with Levi, and I I also feel like um, he's the grounded one, <clears> and which is which is crazy because they're gonna. Um, they're going to show him as kind of like he's always drinking. Uh, he's got the parole officer. He's got this sordid past. He's a bartender. He loses his job halfway through the movie. Um, so he's kind of this fuck up, right? Uh, and but he's grounded. Everything he says makes sense to me. He's like, 
Yeah. He's like, he's like halfway well, through. Well, he seems the most true to himself. He knows himself, yeah. and he's true to that character, whereas John is uh, more measured in how he interacts and how he goes about his interactions with Levi. He's more guarded and isn't as open or understanding of himself and his motives. He's not sure. open with it, whereas Levi is. Yeah, right. you're right. Exactly. Well, that's what, and that's what I like about Levi, too, is where he says, you know, uh, you remember when you said we'd stop if this got scary? Well, I think it's time to stop. Like, he is—he's the only one willing to stop, right? Yeah. So, because so John, who <clears throat> seems like he has his life together um, in the beginning, uh, you know, we learn that he's living off his ex, right? He gets that check mm-hmm. for like three grand at some point. Um, yeah. And he acts like the adult, and Levi acts like the adolescent. But well, every, yeah, and he treats him like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But everything that Levi is saying is resonating with me, and everything John is saying is kind of like this guy's like, um, like just full of shit. Like he's mm-hmm. he's like he's like lying, but maybe not really lying. It's like those you know, like I said before, those white lies that you're just like, you know, you're punching up your your stories or whatever. Um, just to make yourself seem a little more important or a little better, mm-hmm. and um, he's he's manipulating Levi as well as he can, uh, you know, to continue because he can't do this alone or he doesn't want to do it alone. Once they get deep in, right, he can't do it without Levi. Levi tries to bail. He says no way, you know. Right. Just, you know, um, yeah. The, the I mean, if the movie's about these two people, right? And yeah. so so you have to have the this excellent character work, right? From the oh, from, yeah. the, from the writing perspective and the acting perspective. And obviously they they've been friends forever as far as we know and um have this excellent chemistry um just as yeah. people, right? Um and the writing for them was was fantastic and the acting was excellent. So when you only have two people on camera, a lot like the battery, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if they're the ones doing doing all the work, I mean, your movie's gonna make or break based on those two relationships, and they and they did an excellent job. Yeah, it's a lot like you know how Tarantino finds himself writing these intense dialogues that are entertaining or insightful uh, with just a few characters, uh, and like this has to do the same kind of heavy lifting with the text uh with the uh with the dialogue between the two because it's so narrow focused um there's another part to play there and i don't want to go off in the weeds with it but like the way that the film is edited is so crucial to how it's presented and how it ends as a final product because it's so smart in 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 what it does with how it just misdirects you but like fills you with this with history uh with questions with uh feeling like you have all the answers but then also have none of the answers and all like if they use their own found footage from their childhoods to impart on these characters that they're playing and so they're now forever entwined but it feels more realistic because of that you know from a documentary perspective uh which makes sense uh so at a, the writing and the way that they interact is so important. And what I think is so magical about the movie is like it's 
here's two characters, and now here's this uh, impetus of an event, and how this potential brush upon a phenomena, if it even was a phenomena, maybe it was just this happenstance thing that they were both in a mental a place mentally and emotionally where they were wanted to latch onto something. There could have been nothing there there. And it could have been in their heads and a lot of it just like kind of propelled and they fed one another. And the idea of paranoia and going down a rabbit hole and just tumbling tumbling like conspiracy theory type uh, research where you want to find rational explanations for things that are the unexplainable and what that drives you to, the madness that can occur, the, uh, the obsession that occurs and what it does to one another. And I think that they both become enamored with that and they handle it different ways. But the film does just such a good job of showing that evolution or the evolution of, of their psyches as it progresses. Oh, yeah. The more insane the things go, the, the symbols and all this. And, and I think that's what's so funny. Uh, and I'll just mention my text here in, in a minute. Uh, is like, you don't know what's real and what's not. All of what they're presenting, I don't think necessarily has to be truthful whatsoever. And I think that most of it isn't. I think m almost all of it is, is bullshit. Some of it might be a historical fact, but they're yeah. plucking it to to explain or to work in their narrative uh, to make it make sense for the characters, and, yeah. it, and not that it's like a real thing. It's just yeah. By the works. end of the, by, by the end of the movie, they're on the seventh editor, and they've hired like four <laughs> yeah. four VFX artists, and it's like it's like okay, so wait, if we're watching the doc, like that last visual effects artist could have been the guy who did everything we've seen so far. Like, right. It's like the so, floating of the thing. Like they're just yeah. describing it. We, yeah. That that might not have been the real. Event yeah, we that we weren't we're watching it happen in real time. So yeah, we're seeing the reenactment. We're not seeing the event. And the, you know, they have the other expert that talks about the lead levels in there, the chromium that's present, and yeah. what that might do to a person. Like, they could have just been on mind-altering experiential type stuff where there was a yeah. light refracting on a window or the ashtray. And they yeah. fucking ran with it, right? Because for the, <laughs> the first time he's, you know, he sees it. He doesn't really, he doesn't really do anything. And then when it goes back to it, and they're both looking at it, you see it like get up and spin, right? So, yeah, yeah. And, so like but that's right there, so, like the, that's the that could be the hint too. And that and that's what's so I think uh, breath uh, fresh breathtaking. I'm thinking mental. <laughs> uh, that's what's so. Um, it's like a, a breath of fresh air, I suppose, with there's not a lot of movies that come out that play in this, dabble in this, uh, this uncertainty or uh, this ambiguous nature where you get to flirt around with whatever you want to and you can latch on to what you want. You can go along with this or that and you can interpret it in different ways. It doesn't happen a lot. And so that's for me, that's why it's, it seems that much more impactful because it really just plays in that sandbox and allows you to interpret and to guide your experience uniquely to yourself. And it doesn't direct you to one answer or one path. It's so open-ended that you can approach and get what you want from it however you want. And that doesn't happen a lot in filmmaking. 
I think a lot, you know, so a lot of it is so, you know, narratively driven where it's from point A to point B, and this is what you should get out of the film. This is like, here, get what you will from it. Uh, get a lot, get nothing. It's up to you. Uh, yeah. And I, and that's rare, I think, more so. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> I think we should mention the comedy. <clears throat> Um, in the movie. Um, oh, for it's, sure. Yeah, it's very it's very dark, but it's also like, um, there was a moment for me, it was like, I actually laughed out loud. And when I watch movies alone, I don't usually laugh out loud. Um, so, as we said before, like, I'm right there with Levi. We're, you know, we're, I'm, I'm in his head, right? And it's a scene where they're driving back from somewhere and they're talking about, like, the the truth of, of this whole investigation, and and John says, uh, yeah, some of, and also because he's like he's like just tagging the conversation with it. Yeah, and uh, it's, yeah, some of some of my figures may have been off, and Levi's uh, like, well, how how many? <laughs> he's like he's like some of my figures were off, <laughs> and I'm just like because I'm like because I'm starting to think like this guy's so full of fucking shit like. <laughs> You yeah. know, because because he's getting worse. Like John just John de-evolves. He like nosedives. You know, by the end of the movie, you know, yeah. like sweaty, crazy, <laughs> paranoid. Like gotta gotta do this because this is all I have. Like if this doesn't work out, mm-hmm. my life is over. Is like the yeah. the feeling I get from this guy by the end. He's so desperate to make this a thing. Um, and Levi, you know, he's so carefree. He's just like. Well, I, you know, it was cool while it lasted. I just want to kind of move on yeah. to the next thing. Like, yeah, like the story with the lobster. You know, it's it's so yeah, yeah. like that's that encapsulates them. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. For me, the comedic like it's it's an obvious comedic note. But whenever he's on the balcony and they're just drinking, hanging out, and the cops come by, and he just like he he times his beer to spill it so that it lands on the cops yeah. and like. <laughs> It's an obvious comedic note because there's a lot of subtle, dry humor in it, but that one's a very obvious one. But it's hilarious just the way that he he he, he acts it, and then John's saying like, "What are the terms of your parole?" Like, <laughs> he, he seems so comfortable to do something so fucking stupid. Yeah. But that's what's so uh, uh, that's what's so enamoring about him as a character, where you're like, "Yeah, that's great." You know, you 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 root for him. Uh, so okay, real quick, let me mention this this text I've been talking about. So, yep. uh, in grad school years and years ago, uh, I got really into the weeds with all kinds of shit uh, with my friend at the time, but a lot of it was driven with like experiential type artwork. We were both MFAs. Uh, I was doing painting, he was doing sculpture. But we came across this thing called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. It's a an actual museum. It's in LA, but it's not like any other museum that you'd ever or or know about uh and it's not necessarily about the geographic traffic uh or the uh the period of the earth's evolution the drastic period um <laughs> it displays all kinds of different information uh, historical past some is factual and truthful but some isn't and you're never really certain what is and what isn't because it's all presented in the formality of what a museum experience would be to the painstaking uh, 
lengths that one would go to craft a, a small vitrine with a small model of something so intricate and beautiful and precise, but it's about nothing. Like that is, it's about a fake thing that didn't really happen. But because it's presented so seriously, you're like, well, wait a second, is, is that fucking real? And that's a very brunt way to describe the museum, but there's a, a litany of different vitrines. There's one about a bat that could go through uh, physical objects with its sonar. And so like they, there's this giant display that uses illuminations in the background, like, you know, your vitrines behind you, a light bulb would go on into one of the little cubbies and you'd hear a narrator, which by the way, there's, uh, there's old fashioned rotary uh, hand headsets, like handsets from telephones that are on the wall that you pick up and you hold to your ear to listen to someone narrate what's happening in the vitrine that you're looking at. And so it's like this weird analog way of interpreting the information. And then it has analog, like light goes on here and you're hearing the narrator talk about this thing. And then it goes and goes and goes. And it's like all this labor to talk about this bat that is not real, but, and then it, it culminates with like this visual of this bat stuck in concrete. Cause the idea is they're going to try to capture this bat. They're going to make a wall so thick that it can't travel fast enough through it before it's temporary uh, ability to penetrate objects uh subsides you know and now it's encased in concrete and they got it they figured it out and here it is let's present it it's just so bizarre but a long story short uh, there's a text that someone wrote about this museum and other things like it where it's just that existing as a thing is a beautiful thing because it's like it takes something that should be you know you interpret a museum as like a factual thing i can go there and i know how to interpret this this is all real stuff and i just i learn from it so whenever something does it like this, where you can't be certain, it it puts you in this this place where you 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 ask more questions or you feel more inquisitive, or uh, there's this allure of not knowing the answer, uh, and a lot of it is about like you know seduction, like in a romance or in a relationship, when there's questions or where there's somewhat uncertainty, that's where there's the most excitement and potential for for something. And when there is no more questions and everything is just, you just know it, like a lot of that excitement that originally occurred is now dead. Uh, and so I heard uh, Aaron or Justin mention the Museum of Jurassic Technology on an interview after I watched the movie. And I, it, it like, it just, it clicked all these memories that I had from going to that museum and then reading this little, this, art criticism text of the museum and then I but how it related to this film and the way that they did this film to me it all meshed and it gelled and it made sense with why it's important to create pieces of art that do that because it puts you in a place where you can approach it differently or you can experience it differently it's a it's a it's not something that you come across all the time because a lot of times it's there's different rules and everything, but playing with these rules is like a unique experience that you don't really forget often. And the only other thing that was related to it that I wanted to mention was this idea of uh, the author of this one article talked about stone thinking. And I thought that that really made sense with like our characters in there, like in that stone thinking kind of gives you this, this laser like focus, like, you know, imagine like whenever you're drunk or stoned or when you were uh, like, even the most simplest of objects can grab your attention 
and you have this like focus with it and you're like figuring it out. You know, you're unlocking the riddle of this, this ashtray uh, because you're just, you, there's some incentives engaged in your brain that has allowed you to unlock the mysteries of it. And you're experiencing something. Uh, this film, I think, is like a version of that. Like what these characters went through was like they, this, something in their brain was just engaged and clicked and they did it in unison at the same time. And it took them somewhere. Uh, you know, to really dark places by the end of the movie. And, and man, just like having all of that in my background, like made me, I think, engage the film in a deeper level. Uh, and that's what like le left it where I, where I did. And so, um, man, there's, there's a lot there. Like I wanted to send you the text, but I, I didn't think about it until like today. And it's a lot and it's really unimportant because it talks <laughs> about random shit, but it relates to this film for me. And then, I appreciate you giving me the time, but fuck, oh, yeah. like, uh, long story short, it's just like, it's, it's an experience. And I think that the way that they made this, it's, it's, uh, if this is what you're trying to achieve, I don't think that they could have done it any better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> this movie subverted all my expectations, uh, kept me guessing all the way to the end, uh, and everything i guess was wrong because you know it wasn't <laughs> because because it was it wasn't necessarily uh supernatural or paranormal it was um it was a documentary about some events and whether those events happen or not um you know the movie plays out more about the character's journey together than it does mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. about the conclusion that you can draw from the events. And, and you know, as a viewer, you're, you're you know, trying to guess and interpret the plot. You're trying to go, okay, so what is that glowing thing? What mm -hmm. is that, why is the gravity turning off or getting, going left, you know, getting left or whatever? Yeah, yeah, his like, weight, it was always, getting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his weight fluctuated. Like, are, so, so where is this going? Is this going to, be time travel is it going to be an alien is it going to be a, yeah yeah the way that, that they're communicating with it with ode to joy in the guitar oh yeah, oh, yeah yeah the that music sequence <sighs> was great it was so good but once again did that happen or was that a recreation and if that was a reenactment um what actually happened that led them to the reenactment did they write all of this um or you know is it just some some lead poisoning hallucination. Uh. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like the the their the cactus that doesn't grow fruit grows fruit. They're outside, and there's a power station for the probably the traffic lights that are there, and it has a hum to it. He cuts the fruit open, and it has this pattern on it, and it's short, short, long, 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 yeah, short, yeah, yeah. and they hear the same pattern on the power station outside the house. And then they, they, they show the visuals of it. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And they're like, like, what the fuck? No, this isn't, this isn't real. But yeah. they present it so factually yeah. that you're just like, okay, I, I'll go yeah. along with that, yeah. I guess, because maybe it is. Right. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Like what, like, where yeah. is this, where is this going? And it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It literally just yeah. goes until uh, Levi leaves. And you can't go any further because he's not there anymore. 
And okay, so then, <laughs> so then you have to wonder. Okay, it flashed that image of Levi crumpled up on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. does he float away and fall to the earth and die, or is that is that a reenactment? Do we see that? Is that a computer generated image that we see for a split second because we're not? allowed to criticize it from a filmmaking perspective, the documentary that John's releasing on his own, because Levi left like he said he was going to. Right? They- yeah, because <laughs> it looks very much like a like a relatively shitty, like, graphic visual. Like, it looks like, you know, almost... Oh, like yeah, a, it looked bad. It looked... It was the, it was it the worst. Like it, it looks like yeah. a bit map. Yeah, it's bad. It's JPEG, very bad you know? CG. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very poorly made... Uh, image of him crumpled weird up weird angles yeah. like you, you remember yeah. the opening to uh it follows never saw it oh well shit at any yeah. rate it's, <laughs> it's the opening scene there's a character there's a character on the beach in awkward angles yeah, sure uh, and it's very jarring uh but it's realistically done but it's also jarring because it's like that's not real life right how would that happen uh and so like i i thought of it because it's like beach weird angles where he's like just sure. like broken and uh but yeah so I still have not come to any uh, finality with how I feel what occurred. Sure. I, I haven't. I I'm ta- I took it at face value, and, like, I, I'm looking forward to rewatching it to see where I felt. Because there was there's scenes where I feel that Levi's being interviewed in jail. You know, he's got that white right. background, and he's talking. And it's like, it looks like he's in prison yeah. right now. And I could have sworn, like, I heard, like, a buzzer or a siren, like, of, like, cells, like, you know, doors opening and closing. Sure. Yeah, he could guarded. be in a mental hospital, too. It's all white behind him. Yeah. yeah. I, have no, yeah I have no fucking clue. Because, yeah. like, the way that he was describing events seemed like, okay, this is all after the events of the movie. But then the movie that John makes is this is the conclusion because he floated away. Uh, and it's just, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't care because, like, playing in that that space was the experience and that's right. what I got. And yeah, the mo- the the mo- this movie great. is definitely about the ride, right? It's not Yes. You, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, um, you experience it and then you talk about it with friends. This is a conversation yeah. starter of a movie. Right. I would imagine if I saw this at a festival with other fucking critics that are all into film and talking about film or had a Q&A with these guys after the movie, I'd be a pig and shit. It would be the funnest fucking thing right. to get to do because it's that it's this dialogue that is what's engaging and interesting about the movie and its ability to do that is incredible to think about from a, a, a filmmaker's perspective, like that you could, you know, create, you know, capture lightning in a bottle in a sense, uh, you know, not to like fucking suck these guys to completion here. I'm just saying <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a unique experience that you so don't get all the, every day. We're only in for oh. the reason. We're only in for the reach around guys. We're not, uh, we're not, <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not dropping to our knees here uh or anything um yeah yeah this movie was so good okay so you just said something that reminded me of another point um yeah you mm-hmm. were talking about how they were interviewed and okay yeah. so early on when only john has been interviewed you hear someone say uh he they reference the two of them and then they say until the death um, yes. And then, so you're like, oh, shit, does Levi die? Because you've already seen John. And then you see Levi get interviewed, and you're like, oh, 
who's the third person who dies. And now this is another fucking rabbit hole I'm thinking about the whole time. When I'm trying to piece it together, I'm like, who's the third guy who's going to die? Who, where's the time travel? Where's the alien? Like, like, and, I, and I'm going nuts trying to figure this movie out. And uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah, because it all <laughs> seems like that was after the fact. But then right. the movie happens, and the documentary occurs that maybe John created, and there's finality to Levi no longer existing. Right. And and uh, so uh, right. So, but so where did the talking heads come from? Because the talking heads have to have come way later, right? So, like, you know, he he can't have died that night and been interviewed, right? So, like, so so it is kind of John just making a movie. Yeah, because, you know, he wouldn't have had the chromium-led expert, the analyst of the, the soils come if it weren't for after all the events occurred. He's he's now doing the, the Monday morning uh, read-through of what occurred. Right. Uh, and so... <laughs> you're just left with more questions. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not, they answer nothing, which is which is one of. The, so you're gonna answer everything. You're gonna answer nothing. Don't answer a couple questions. Don't be a jerk like that. Like <laughs> they <laughs> left us completely in the dark, and and we'll take it. It was, it was just that good. Yeah. So um, you know, there's other films that it brought to mind. Uh, I don't know if if you have a couple that you thought of during it, but uh, the two that I wanted to mention, like you know, uh, and I think they had mentioned this in, in one of the other talks, but different mockumentary, documentary type esque films that use horror as a as a as a vehicle. Uh, I think you know, like uh, Lake Mungo uh, comes to mind, uh, where you're sort of. I think even The Bay. I think used a lot of documentary where you're just like it as a vehicle to retell some of the events that you're now watching through found footage i think is a is a really fun way to approach storytelling uh and i think they do it really beautifully especially in in lake mungo although i don't think i was 100 percent fully satisfied with it i wasn't rating things when i watched it and so uh, i might want to revisit it but that and then so the other one was um primer or primer I think I've mentioned this at least once before to you uh, as a, a time travel type movie that's very lo-fi, similar type budget or, or uh, restraints uh, technologically that uh, Justin and Aaron utilize uh, in the way the film's made. But it's written in such a way that it's really a head-scratcher type movie. There's finality, I think, with how you approach the, the story. Um, not as open-ended as this, but it's such a an unraveling experience that you're at the end. You really have to like sit and think and like process it. But I think you can kind of piece it together. But it's still fun because of that it's like Inception, you know. But that's a more blockbuster one. It's not really fair yeah. to, to throw that in. Right, right. Uh, no, I didn't really think of other films uh, during this movie. I was I was just locked in, and I and I haven't really thought to to try to compare it to anything else. Um, sure. I I would like to um, bring up the cinematography. Uh, mm. So with a mockumentary, you know, you have there are things to expect, right? Um, you're gonna get some talking heads. You're gonna get those. Uh, oh, Primer is one of the most interesting indie sci-fi films I've ever seen. Said Shaboy Tom. Shaboy the Tom. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um. There's some things you're going to expect. You're going to expect some talking heads. You're going to expect um, 
those those reenactments, uh, interviews, things like that. Um, one thing that I thought was excellent, excellent, like while watching the movie and even now as I think back, um, there were scenes where the camera was placed like so perfectly to capture light in a certain way or to yeah. um, to sh- to show where the two characters were standing like background foreground um with a like a wide like you know the the canyon in the back like you've got the back the like the valley of California and they're up on the rocks you know uh they're in the dirt kind of thing Oh yeah with the fucking like, fires happening in the back of the yeah, yeah, uh, on the yeah. hillside yeah, that yeah. that shot that scene was fucking awesome. Damn. Yeah, there, there's there, and, and just beautiful, beautiful shots in this movie. Things you would not expect from a mockumentary. So there, there's a lot more to to this than the the screenplay, which we've talked about a lot. The script, the script, the script. Yeah, um, well, but that's the care. thing, dude. Like, it's that's almost all entirely them. There wasn't a film crew. It, yeah. it was shot by them like they're the ones that yeah. are framing these things up they're blocking yeah. they're and yeah. and i think it's that that closeness that allowed them to really iron things out in a way that they felt this is the way that we want it to look because they can really keep you know going back and forth and have the time length of time where they're not on like a call sheet where it's like okay we have to hit this mark this mark this mark by end of day uh otherwise we're behind schedule and we're losing money yeah. they had the time to just set it up properly and capture the shot the way that they envisioned it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. We hadn't mentioned the cinematography before and it's great because they utilize all the different uh, visual tools, similar to how we referenced uh, when Deadstream used the webcams appropriately. Right. This film utilizes the lo-fi quality of some of the camera work as a, as a tool to like show like just the, the grittiness of the experience that they're having, you know, because it's so lo-fi um, right, right. Like when, um, when the things like rising behind the character who can't see it, but they're showing it to us from the security cam anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, you mentioned the score. We were now talking about the cinematography. Obviously, we're talking about. We've talked about the acting and the writing. I mean, this movie. You know, h- hits on. Um, Pretty much every angle, it checks all the boxes. Um, Tom, if you liked Primer, you got to check out something in the dirt. For sure. Yeah, and I would say the rest of their filmography uh, plays like Primer does, uh, and, and not to come to keep them as as you know in the same lane on on the same path, but uh, this film is very similar to to Primer and Primer's. You know, a lot of what they do plays in this kind of headspace. <clears throat> I've been having endless on in the background. Um, <clears throat> resolution, Spring is sort of outside of this kind of sci-fi trippy thing, but an amazing film uh, with, where Jeremy Gardner, I believe, does have a brief role at the beginning of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. And uh, and then shit, Synchronic uh, with, I think, Andrew Mackey. And so I think almost all of those are on Shutter right now. Uh, highly recommend that uh, you catch up and then uh, let that be a, a reason to go watch something in the dirt or let something in the dirt lead you to those other films. Because there's even like little things that are in this film that t- 
tie in the other films that they made. Uh, it's not crucial to interpreting this film, but I think it, the universe that it lives within is it, it kind of is a fan servicey type thing to know like, oh yeah, this is this is them. Uh, like this is their mark. Although it's pretty obvious to tell from the way that this is done, like it, it's clearly uh, just Benson Aaron Moorhead's project. <laughs> Right, right. Like it's they have a distinctive voice, which is again another unique thing. Whenever you watch a movie, and you're like, I know who made that movie. That's kind of a cool creative thing. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Tom is uh, Tom's picking up the movie right now. Sweet. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Jeremy Gardner, I <clears throat> believe uh, next week. On the podcast for the recently deceased, we will be reviewing the leech. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe that. that Is it next I week or the so. week after? I don't know. I don't know about the timing. I think it comes out on the fifth, which will be Monday. So I think Perfect. we'll have time to catch it before we discuss on the sixth. Excellent. Pretty that's, sure. That's good news. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, that's just supposed to be a Christmas time setting, uh, but I don't know if necessarily like. You know, it seems like a holiday movie, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Because the other choices of holiday movie, uh, so the Mean One trailer came out, which oh. I don't think was. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, Violent Night, which is going to be more like Die Hard, but with David Harbour and Santa Claus. As Santa Claus, uh, yeah. And John Leguizamo. And then... <laughs> oh. He's the villain. Okay. That's cool. Uh, and then uh, Christmas, Bloody Christmas, which looks like a Terminator Santa Claus. I don't know. So the leech could be like the only Christmassy theme, but not like just like yanking on the dick of like a fucking Christmas property or like not right, really a Christmas right, right. horror movie. It could be the only true Christmas horror. <laughs> well, certainly so the, mean the one. only elevated Christmas horror. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenna, Jenna Ortega. Uh, did you watch any Wednesday yet? No, I didn't, and I love, but I love Jenna Ortega, and I can't wait. I heard, I heard I, Wednesday I, was really good. Yeah, I started it, uh, but I was very tired when I started it, and I was really loving it, and I was like, I, I need to devote my attention to this. I can't just watch it as I doze. So, um, so I finished the first episode, but I dozed near the end, so I gotta, I gotta get back to it. I believe I saw something. I think they never film her blinking. She's oh. always wide-eyed and you will never see her blink i think in the movie okay uh something to pay attention to, which is just a cool little thing all right so uh any final words for the uh for something in the dirt uh no i think you know support small independent films uh it took a long time to get this from the festival to finally being released rustic films is bringing it to us uh XYZ, I think it was one of the other uh, distribution or production companies involved. Um, you know, independent movies and films like this are awesome. Uh, they do need to be supported, so please do that uh, with whatever way that you're able to do so. Uh, I'm hoping that at some point we might be able to get to a festival in our area. That would be awesome to travel to a festival and talk about all the movies that are at it. Um, because it just seems like it'd be just fun as shit to do. So uh, 
I think this movie thrives in that environment and I'm glad that it exists. I want to continue to see it happen. I think that it's a good sign that they are still making this stuff because you think about it, dude, like if you had what I would imagine would be the money coming from a Marvel property sure. uh, to still make stuff like this while that's going on is pretty incredible and just shows like it's the art of doing it and it's the act of doing it that they love. And, and I did mean it when I said it made me want to make something. I, more so than I ever have in my life, want to do that. <laughs> so awesome. Well, keep uh, keep an eye out, viewers, for uh, for the first podcast uh, of the recently deceased uh, production. Because um, uh, I'm actually taking a film writing class online right now. I'm like halfway through it, and I've uh, always fancied myself a writer, even back when I was in high school. Uh, uh, hey, did you ever see Adaptation? Uh, the, that's the Nick Cage movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know of it. I have not seen it. Oh, you got to see it. If you're taking the film writing, and we're talking about making a film, go see Adaptation. Go see it. Like, okay. You, you, you got to see it, yeah. All right, all right, we'll do, we'll do. Uh, all right, so I did want to say one thing um, before we go. Uh, there's no second episode tonight. That's why we kind of just went for it. We're over an hour. Uh, we haven't done an hour-long episode in a while. Uh, the reason being is, um, I watched The Killing Tree, and I chose, I chose to spare Rodney the 67 minutes of his life <laughs> that would have been him having to watch it. Um, so if you're listening to my voice now, do not watch The Killing Tree. Um, as much as we are telling you to go support indie cinema... <laughs> Oh, please, God, no. I think I'm going to watch just so we can watch it. <laughs> well, 67 <laughs> minutes is really it's not, not a lot of... That's right, that kind of told me. I was like, I can do that. I, I've got 67 minutes of worse things in my life. I can do this. I can do that. All right. Uh, Rod gave it an 8. I gave it a 7. Uh, check out Something in the Dirt uh, as soon as you can uh, for the podcast for the recently deceased. I am Nate Roberts. And I am Rodney Godek. Take care. We'll see you next time. And we'll see you next week.